This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. It is time to launch a new war against the evil of lies, deceit, and darkness and go all out to win the victory of truth and transparency and light. Sure. Go ahead. Believe everything you see on television, everything you read in the newspaper. Go ahead. Get your history out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, that's right. Oswald killed Kennedy. Yeah, sure he did. Man, you are living in Disneyland. 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And 15 minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Did I actually say the Encyclopedia Britannica? Does, any, does anyone even know what an Encyclopedia Britannica is anymore? I don't think so. Do you remember when door-to-door salesmen would actually come selling encyclopedias? Those things are like out of date in two minutes right? Encyclopedia Britannica. I think I better update that little liner that I use, Griffin. Encyclopedia Britannica. All right, welcome to the program. Uh, Remove all sharp objects from your pockets and put your tray in the upright position. And uh, we have a lively one for you tonight. You know, uh, global warming, always, always a lively discussion. it's one of those issues that if you're not careful and you say the wrong thing, you can get taken off somebody's Christmas card list. It's a lot like 9-11, but we will delve into uh, global warming uh, because there is some new data that's been released by NASA, which some are claiming is blasting a lot of holes in the uh, man-made global warming theory. We'll get to that in just a moment. Let me give you a heads up what's coming up on the program. 11.30 in uh, just under half an hour from now. If there's another person on this planet that knows more about crop circles, I don't know who he is or who she is, but uh, Freddie Silva, who um, is from England but now resides in Portland, Maine, will be with us to discuss agroglyphs, as as they are sometimes known, crop circles, those interesting swirl. uh, They're very elaborate, these patterns now, that are found in farmers' fields, uh, primarily in England, but... Actually, number two on the list in terms of countries where crop circles are most common would be Canada. In fact, not too far from here, Georgetown, for those of you in the GTA. Georgetown uh, has been known uh, to have uh, crop circles. And uh, there's something very bizarre about what goes on inside these crop circles. A number of hoaxers have come forward. Uh, Doug and Dave from England back in the 80s claiming that they were responsible for all of these crop circles. But don't, I don't buy it for a minute. They are so intricate, so complex, and so vast in some cases, 
And the uh, it's not like you just walk in there, you know, strap some boards onto your shoes and start flattening down the crops because they're not fl- the stems are not broken. And the inside the, the this these uh, these crop uh, circles, you have these intricate we- woven patterns. And they've done soil samples and and inside the crop circles, very strange, baffling is the word I would use. So we'll get into that with Freddie Silva in about a half hour. And the last half hour of the program, 12.30 Eastern, we'll uh, open up the phone lines. I really enjoy the, uh, the open lines and spending some one-on-one time with you, me, and the telephone. So we'll uh, get to uh, just about anything goes in the last half hour of the show, uh, keeping in mind that it has to be something that we normally would discuss on the show. It could be... Uh, uh, deep politics, political subterfuge, cover-ups, conspiracies. But, of course, we also delve into uh, the paranormal, the supernatural, alternative this, alternative that. We even get metaphysical on the program from time to time. Uh, first, however, there is um, some interesting data that's coming out of uh, NASA, for one, and other places as well. And some are saying that Man-made global warming theory is falling apart with the release of each of these new scientific studies. And here to uh, help us make sense of uh, what is being uh, released by places like NASA, Dr. Timothy Ball, one of the first Canadians to hold a PhD in climatology. He wrote his doctoral thesis at the University of London using the remarkable records of the Hudson's Bay Company to reconstruct climate change. From 1714 to 1952, he's published numerous articles on climate change and its impact on the human condition. Dr. Ball has served on numerous committees at the federal, provincial, municipal levels on climate, water resources, and and environmental issues. He was a professor in the geography department at the University of Winnipeg before retiring and has written a regular column on weather in the agricultural magazine Country Guide for 14 years. He's currently working as an environmental consultant, public speaker. He's based in Victoria. And uh, we are very uh, happy to have him back here on The Conspiracy Show. Dr. Timothy Ball, how are you? I'm fine, thank you, Richard, and thanks for the opportunity. All right, let's uh, talk about uh, this data that uh, NASA is, uh, is releasing that appears to show what exactly? That the atmosphere, they, the, the, the atmosphere is releasing heat out into space more efficiently than what these computer models predicted? Is that it? Well, it, it's actually uh, uh, not NASA. It's a, a former employee of NASA, uh, Roy Spencer, who's uh, got a doctorate, and, and he worked with NASA, but he's at the University of Alabama at Huntsville and has been involved in uh, collecting uh, temperature data of the Earth from satellites. And, of course, that has uh, shown some of the difficulties with the data that's be, been used because the satellite uh, covers the whole globe and it gives us a much more accurate picture, whereas the surface data, you know, you get 70% of the world's ocean with, with virtually no data at all. But what, what's, uh, what Roy has done is um, he, he uh, has done a study uh, of the satellite data and the amount of energy that's being released at the top of the atmosphere, because basically the global temperature is a balance between the amount of heat coming in from the sun and the amount of heat escaping from the earth. And over a long period of time, of course, it, it's sort of in, in balance, 
but um, it, it's never uh, exactly at equilibrium. And if, if more stays in than goes out, then the global temperature goes up and vice versa. And um, what they've been working with so far is the uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is ostensibly the official word on, on climate. Uh, they, they were showing certain levels of, of energy going out of the top of the atmosphere. But what, what uh, Roy has found out with his study uh, is that, in fact, um, they were um, underestimating. There's, there's more heat energy escaping from the Earth. And that, of course, shows that their computer models are wrong, and the computer models are the things that they're using to scare everybody to death. In other words, if the heat is escaping into outer space, it's not warming the uh, the Earth, which would explain uh, then, the, the, if it is escaping at that rate, it would explain these differences between the model-based forecasts, where you had rapid, rapid uh, global warming, and then on the other hand, you had the meteorological data, which showed a much slower rate of warming. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and of course, uh, you know, the amusing thing is that uh, uh, these people with their models are at the point where, um, and in fact, uh, uh, some of the uh, so-called uh, promoters or alarmists of global warming said that um, their models are right, that the observations are wrong. But, but we've heard that nonsense before. We heard it was sea surface temperatures where they said, oh, the sea surface temperature is this. We went actually measured it, and it turned out to be different than what the models predicted. And they said, oh, no, the, 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 the data is wrong. And, uh, but they're, they're just defending the indefensible because basically their hypothesis that CO2 is causing warming and or climate change um, it's, it's simply falling apart, and that's what's going on here. Well, the ma- what is the magic number that the, the, uh, these computer modelers are looking at? Is it 350 parts per million of CO2? Well, that's the, the, the CO2 level. That's a, that's a different issue. The, the CO2 level, of course, is, is the uh, greenhouse gas uh, that they claim is, is holding the heat in, uh, delaying its escape, and therefore raising the temperature. The problem they have with that is that um, in, in every, they assume that if CO2 increases, and it's right now at about 390, uh, and that's according to their estimates, by the way, and there's a lot of questions about that. But they, the, the arg- argument is if the CO2 in the atmosphere increases, the temperature will go up. Well, the difficulty they've got is um, that um, has not been happening since uh, around 2000. Uh, up to the present, and yet CO2 continues to increase and the temperature is going down. But also, um, I don't know of any record from any period in history anywhere in in which that happens. In fact, in every record that we've got, including the ice core records, they show that the temperature increases before the CO2. In other words, Dr. Ball, in other words, we haven't even established, uh, if I'm understanding you correctly, we haven't even established whether... Uh, rising temperatures increase CO2 levels, or whether CO2 levels uh, rise and increase temperature? No, no. They, they started with the assumption that CO2 increase would cause temperature, but the, all of the evidence, as it comes out, is, it shows the opposite. And, and this is the difficulty. And, of course, you see what they've done um, is they came out with a hypothesis and normally what scientists do is immediately uh, start to challenge that hypothesis and try to prove that it's wrong. That's why it was so wrong when they called people global warming skeptics. Well, all scientists are skeptics. You, you skeptically test every hypothesis. If the hypothesis holds up, then it, be, it, then it becomes a law. Um, but um, you, you've got, you, in other words, you try to disprove it. What they've done 
is they've tried to prove the thesis. And uh, in, in complete contradiction, and as Richard Lindzen said oh, years ago, he said the, the problem with the global warming hypothesis was that the consensus was reached before the research had even begun. And then what's happened, uh, Richard, is as the evidence starts to come in um, that contradicts them, they, they uh, literally uh, make up things to try and explain it. Move the goalposts. Uh, Dr. Dr. Ball, I've got to take a... Oh, let me uh, take a time out. We'll get to your example in just a moment. Dr. Timothy Ball is with us. Our recent scientific studies knocking holes in the man-made global warming theory. We'll discuss further when The Conspiracy Show returns here on AM740. Don't go away. My name is Richard Serrett. This is Patagonia, 75 years ago, and the same glacier today. This is Mount Kilimanjaro, 30 years ago, and last year, within the decade, there will be no more snows of Kilimanjaro. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now, 416-360-0740, or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. I was not an environmentalist when I, when I saw Al's presentation. I was just, you know, a dad and a filmmaker. And, and then when I saw it, I was like, this is the most important issue of our time. And so making the film was like, I want to give everyone who sees the film the same experience I had. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Dr. Timothy Ball is uh, with us discussing global warming. Uh, Dr. Ball, uh, I know you wanted to give an example um, uh, just before the break, so continue that point. Yeah, what we were talking about was how when these inconvenient facts, and, and Thomas Huxley said over 100 years ago that the great tragedy of science... Is, is a lovely hypothesis destroyed by an ugly fact. And because they um, proved, or proved the uh, hypothesis, and, and rather than disproving it, every time a fact comes up that contradicts them, they try to find some explanation for it, and, and it gets blown away. Uh, the, the classic one, of course, was the uh, medieval warm period, uh, which uh, showed that it, it was warmer a thousand years ago than it is today. So they, they literally rewrote the history with the hockey stick. And then they had the problem that it, from 1940 to about 1980, global temperatures were going down at the time that human production of CO2 had increased the most. And so uh, they claimed that, oh, it was sulfates that were going into the atmosphere from uh, coal burning, and that was, uh, that was creating the cooling. And they tried that one again just recently because this, this cooling from 2000 to the present um, they came out and said, oh, well, it's, it's sulfates from coal burning in China and so on. But th- those things are very quickly and easily uh, proven to be wrong. What about but the glaciers? The treadmill they're on. What about the, uh, the, the, the glaciers, Dr. Ball? There's so much conflicting evidence out there. Uh, uh, glaciers are disappearing. No, they're growing. The snow on Kilimanjaro oh. is melting. No, it's expanding. What, is, what, what, what can you tell us? Well, of course, one of the things that they like to do is to choose things that people um, are, are simply not familiar with. Um, the glaciers, we monitor, there's, there's two basic types of glaciers. There's the continental glacier, which you get in Antarctica and, and, and Greenland. And then there's the mountain glaciers, 
um, and um, they they function essentially the same, but they're 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 quite distinctly different uh, forms. But uh, we monitor about ten percent of the world's mountain glaciers, and half of those are advancing and half are retreating. You had the embarrassing situation where when Cameron was running to, for the Prime Minister of Britain and he got himself helicoptered over to a Norwegian glacier to show that he cared about the environment until somebody pointed out to him that the glacier he was on was advancing, not retreating. And um, the same is true with the Greenland and the Antarctic ice sheets. They're actually uh, increasing in mass um, because glaciers are as much about snowfall and precipitation as they are about temperature. So uh, those, those things are easily put into context and shown to be to show what's going on is perfectly natural. The most common one is the Antar- or the Arctic ice, the sea ice. And by the way, there's a group up there now, stupidly trying to row to the north North Magnetic Pole, and they they've, they've got they've got it they've got the plate they got it wrong because their maps are 40 years out of date. But anyway, um, uh, the, the what people don't know is that the Arctic freezes over every winter, including Hudson Bay and surrounding areas, and about 15 million square kilometers of ice forms. And every single summer, approximately 10 million square kilometers of that melts. That's normal. And if you, so, you know, I could, I could write a, an article right now for the Globe and Mail and s- tomorrow and say, look, uh, yesterday an area twice the size of Vancouver Island melted in the Arctic, and, of course, that would be a great headline. But the fact is that's normal. That's what's going on right now as that ice melts. And, uh, it, it, again, it's because people have no idea about uh, the ice and what happens on an annual basis and how it melts and so on. But, but so are, they are, can exploit these things. Are sea levels not – are they not rising? They're, they're, they've been rising uh, since for about 10,000 years because we've come out of an ice age and the ice that was formed on the land – and most of Canada covered with an ice sheet. Well, most of that water came out of the oceans and, and fell as snow, which turned into ice. That's been melting and going back into the oceans. And sea levels rose very rapidly for about 5,000 years. Now the, the rate of rise is slowing down as, as the uh, Earth is, is reaching a peak of temperature and starting to cool down. And um, But, of course, sea level is a very, very complex thing. It isn't just about... Um, whether the ice is melting or more water going in. It's also changes of the land level. So if you've got changes in sea level, it's called eustacy. And if you've got changes in land level, it's called isostasy. And one of the things that uh, a famous Canadian environmentalist was pointing at the Gulf Coast in the U.S. saying, oh, no, here's, here's the sea level rising. In fact, what's happening along that Gulf Coast is the land is sinking. And uh, so if you're at any place, you've got to know what's going on. Is it the sea rising or the land sinking? And, uh, again, uh, just to give you an illustration, sea level isn't level. You go through the Panama Canal, the Atlantic Ocean's at a different level than the Pacific level, yet they're connected around the bottom of South America. Dr. Ball, why are you such in such a minority? Uh, um, in fact, the people that speak out, the scientists or the professors that speak out against man-made global warming, such as yourself, always seem to be retired or sort of on the outside. Well, that, that's a very good point. Uh, and by the way, uh, we're not a consensus. The consensus argument's meaningless. You know, that, 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 that's a political argument, not a scientific that's argument. That's true. Science doesn't operate on consensus. No, that's true. No, and, and, and one of the things that uh, has comple- they've completely turned around is traditionally 
uh, and you started the program by talking about, um, you know, encyclopedias and, and knowledge and so on. Well, traditionally, uh, in the universities and in, in scientific research, you had the older professors with the old ideas, and the new young professors would come in and challenge and de- develop new ideas. I mean, if you look at how old Einstein was when he published um, and so on, well, now what's happening is that um, the the new young professors are coming in, and they're all inculcated with this whole environmental, um, almost a religious view of science. And uh, the old scientists are saying, no, hang on a minute, science is never settled, um, and, and that's just a theory, and it needs to be tested. So what's going on is they've, they've literally turned upside down um, how knowledge has progressed uh, in societies. And so that's why it's so many of the older and retired scientists that are challenging. Let me grab a quick call here from, uh, from Tony in Brampton. Tony, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi, Richard. Uh, I have a question. Uh, up until last year on the weather forecast, they gave the ultraviolet ratings with uh, extremely high was nine. I noticed that this year, for a couple of days, they gave an extremely high rating of 11. Uh, since then, they have stopped giving the numerical uh, value. They just say extremely high. Is something happening to the ozone layer? Well, the the um, the ultraviolet issue became a, a big issue back when the CFCs were uh, pointed at for causing uh, variations in the amount of ozone. Um, in fact, uh, the ultra the uh, CFCs have nothing to do with it. Ozone varies um, naturally, and it varies with the amount of ultraviolet radiation coming from the sun. And oh, the ultraviolet strikes the oxygen. Uh, splits it into single um, oxygen molecules that combine into three, which makes the ozone. So as the uh, ultraviolet varies, then the amount of ozone that you've got varies. The so-called hole over Antarctica, which became the big issue, is in fact not a hole. It's an area of thinning, and it's primarily caused by the circulation of the atmosphere, particularly the upper-level winds and the extremely cold temperatures over Antarctica, and the creation of things called polar stratospheric clouds. Mm-hmm. So um, when you see those numbers uh, of the ultraviolet uh, numbers being higher than you were used to, it's, it's because the ultraviolet varies, and uh, it varies as much as 200%. But this is another example um, of, of the, uh, Tony, of, of the situation we're talking about. See, because they came out and said, oh, we've measured the ozone, and, and there's less now than when we started measuring a few years ago. So, of course, they, they looked for humans to blame. Uh, but they, started, they had the assumption that the amount of uh, ultraviolet was constant. But it isn't constant. Yeah, but, if, but you, if you assume it's constant, then you're forced to find some other explanation. Right. And uh, that, that's what went on there. But the, the, um, the ozone layer is, is in quite good health. All right, Tony, thank you for that. Uh, we'll take another time out and uh, just a few minutes remain on the other side uh, with Dr. Tim Ball. I, I do want to ask you about the role of uh, the sun in all of this. And the other, th- the odd thing is that, uh, from what I understand, um, other heavenly bodies out there are also warming up uh, the other planets. And um, last I checked, they didn't have uh, automobiles or coal-fired uh, Uh, plants on Venus and Uranus and Neptune. So what's going on there? Dr. Tim Ball is with us as we discuss global warming just ahead of Freddie Silva and crop circles here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
Is it possible that we should prepare against other threats besides terrorists? I am so proud of the fact that there, for, for finally the truth is going to be out there. It's all science-based. It's really indisputable. And the American people are going to be able to pay 10 bucks to go to a theater and see this. And I know that, you know, Al Gore is the, is the action hero of the summer as far as I'm concerned. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario 1-866-740-4740 You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11pm to 1am on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Recently, the story of these crop circles took a dramatic turn. For the first time, physical evidence of their creation may have been discovered. At first glance, they look like ancient Roman dinnerware, but some believe they are something far more dramatic. Extraterrestrial artifacts left behind by the crop circles' mysterious creators. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. And just a reminder, coming up at 1230, we will uh, open the lines, the telephone lines, and make them available to you to discuss just about anything from 1230 until 1 a.m. when we dim the lights and uh, say sayonara. Uh, and uh, next week on the program, Gordon Finn, uh, who actually was, when was that? Uh, I was in North, uh, North Carolina doing the show uh, just outside Charlotte, and um, we had Gordon on the program in the second half, and we lost the connection from my end. Uh, I was doing the show from, by Skype in a very mountainous, remote area outside of Charlotte, and uh, so we lost Gordon, but he's coming back next week to do some channeling for us. All right, right now, Freddie Silva, one of the world's leading experts on crop circles is with us, and uh, sacred sites, I should point out. A leading researcher into the interaction between temples and consciousness. He's a best-selling author of Secrets in the Fields and uh, director of the documentaries Temple Making, Stairways to Heaven, The Practical Magic of Sacred Space, and In the Footsteps of Isis. He lectures internationally. He's made keynote presentations at the International Science and Consciousness Conference and the International Society for the Study of Subtle Energies and Energy Medicine, in addition to appearances on the History Channel, Discovery Channel, BBC, numerous video documentaries, and international radio shows. Recently described by the CEO of Universal Light Expo as perhaps the best metaphysical speaker in the world right now. And, of course, we're delighted to have Freddie Silva on The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Freddie. Hello, Richard. Good to talk to you again. Yes. I uh, had the great pleasure of uh, meeting you face-to-face when we brought you up here to, uh, to do uh, one of our TV episodes on Crop Circles for Season 2. That was wonderful. And you are a very yeah, tall man. So you are a very tall man. How? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I crop my pictures. <laughs> <laughs> crop, yes, no pun intended. Uh, now, you're down there in, uh, in, uh, in Portland, Maine, That's but right. a lot of the crop circle activity, obviously, is, is in England, but I believe Canada is like number two on the list of crop circle locations, is it not? Uh, yes, it is. Not a, pop- a lot of people know that, and... Um, 
uh, if you put uh, 70% of the world's crop circles in the south of England, uh, I reckon the next biggest batch would be about 20%. Uh, historically have appeared in the Canadian prairies and sometimes in Ontario as well, but more often than not in Saskatchewan and Alberta, uh, right over the uh, world's deepest limestone aquifer. Uh, and there's your connection, uh, because the southern Britain sits on the world's deepest chalk aquifer, and the two are chemical twins of each other. So it seems that uh, 90% of the world's crop circles seem to favor water. Have you been up to, uh, to Georgetown, just north and west of Toronto, to see any crop circles? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, there's a, uh, historically, there's been a few people up there, some enthusiasts in Canada who basically done the work up there. It, it's, um, the globe's a very large place to, to cover uh, for this phenomenon, which now has appeared in 29 countries. So I try to stick to, uh, to England. Uh, I just know the, the fields very, very well. And uh, that keeps me uh, pretty much on my toes, or I used to keep me much, much on my toes uh, when I was first writing the book and researching it uh, from a first-hand experience. So there are people in Canada who do that for us. Now, now the term agroglyphs is sort of coming into to vogue. Is, do you use that term intermit, interchangeably with crop circle? or Why do we, uh, agroglyphs, where did that come from? I think it um, comes from the, uh, the time in the 60s when uh, land art was being created. Uh, we had uh, people flying over fields, we had satellite imagery, and suddenly we had, uh, I'm trying to think of some names off the top of my head, but I can't, um, some art, land artists that used to go out and make enormous uh, sort of glyphs that you could only see from the air. Um, kind of like, I guess an agri-glyph would be very close to what you'd see in the plains of Nazca. And I think somehow the two sort of got into mix somewhere in the late uh, 20th century. Uh, but really, it's, uh, they're closer to geoglyphs than anything else. Uh, but they do appear, obviously, on uh, agricultural land. Can you describe the, the, the physical characteristics of, say, one of the, the, the most... Uh, complex, intricate crop circle that you've ever sit, uh, witnessed? Oh, God. Uh, yes, it's almost like um, worshipping the uh, Sistine Chapel ceiling. Uh, it's a work of art. I mean, I was very um, lucky and privileged to have uh, been in the epicenter of the, uh, the world of crop circles in Britain. And uh, on several occasions, I was even luckier to have been uh, the first person there, and sometimes I even predicted where these things are going to be, which is really handy. And uh, it's like you're watching this cookie cutter, this cosmic cookie cutter, incised uh, out of the crop. Uh, and I should point out for people who are not familiar with this subject that uh, you're talking about uh, an area of uh, cereal crop that has not been damaged uh, by any physical process. The plants are just bent above the soil. Uh, it's as if a slight hand of God just basically moved uh, the hand over the, uh, the, uh, the crop and uh, quietly flattened the crop without any bending. And uh, the side, when you first see these, uh, these plants when they're totally untouched, is like watching pencils beautifully arranged in a museum display case. And in this case, uh, the crop actually resembles flowing water. So if you take the uh, concept that every genuine crop circle is based on the process of spiral motion, uh, and that's basically what creates them. Um, the plants literally are spiral, just like uh, flowing eddies of water. And you don't even want to even go into these things for uh, minutes. You're just sitting there watching this beautiful display, uh, this fluid display of, uh, of nature, uh, perfectly arranged. And then you take your shoes off and you quietly and gently try to thread your way for these plants. And you can actually feel the air being sort of crushed under your feet as the plants then are uh, crushed to the ground because your your feet actually presses the top of the uh, the weeds to the soil. 
So they're beautiful things. They're incredibly artistic wonders. And uh, if you actually leave the plants alone, something even more mysterious happens. Um, after about a week, the plants begin to rise back up to the light, which is what they're supposed to do uh, if they're left undamaged. And um, sometimes when you leave them alone for about two weeks, you'll see this sort of ripple effect uh, where the plants have come back almost two-thirds of the way up to the light, and you'll see certain lines of energy uh, that created the crop and made the plants flow in a certain manner and that's what gives the game away that there's some energy form that actually uh, programmed the plants to bend in a very articulate way. Some, some of these uh, crop swirls have been described as fractals. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, if you actually start looking at the way that the, uh, the crop circles developed from simple crop circles and then um, began to create themselves into uh, geoglyphs and also uh, complex patterns, uh, at some point in the mid-90s, uh, they began to resemble computer fractals, uh, where you take, for example, uh, a simple um, central pattern, like a hexagram, and then basically you'd uh, holograph it uh, into an uh, infinitesimal um, design. So the central design, the central hexagonal design, would basically reprint itself again and again and again. And sometimes you wouldn't actually know this until you actually worked out the interior hidden geometry of the structure itself. So if you take the inner, the, the core geometry at the center of the design and stretch it outwards to its perimeter, you then work your way backwards on a computer and work out that one, uh, the uh, center is basically a ripple effect of the exterior and vice versa. So in a way you're dealing with a holographic effect that's self-replicating and yet outwardly expanding all the time. And uh, this is the kind of thing that you'd find in modern computer graphics. Uh, and that's very, very difficult to reproduce uh, on a sheet of paper, let alone a field of wheat with a piece of wood in, in, in complete darkness. Yeah, strapped to your feet, uh, stomping around uh, like Doug and Dave. And we'll, we'll discuss those two gentlemen a little bit later. And after four pints of beer as well. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Uh, Freddie Silva is uh, with us, uh, author of uh, Secrets in the Fields uh, and a number of uh, documentaries on uh, sacred sites and crop circles. Uh, now... The, um, the, the, the chemistry of the, of the soil uh, inside these crop swirls and the, the um, I don't know how to describe what's happening with the actual, you know, the crops inside, the seeds and so forth, but they've done studies on, on these and they've been, they've, they're, they're changed. I mean, they're, they're, they're very different than the neighbors outside, their neighbors outside the crop circle. Oh, totally. And uh, the funny thing is that whatever the force that is behind it, and for me it's a very conscious uh, source because you can actually interact with it to the point where you can predict what these things are going to be. You know, on occasion, not always, but uh, we've had some very good success with that. Um, what the, the conscious source that's interacting with the plant is doing so with complete cooperation from the receiving material uh, where there's no damage uh, that is caused physically. Uh, but if you look at the cellular structure, the crystalline structure of the plant has been altered. And uh, it was originally suspected that microwave might be doing this. And uh, I think uh, William Levengood's, uh, Dr. William Levengood's original hypothesis that uh, some kind of microwave form was involved in making the plants bend and fall over and also have their um, water inside the, the stalks actually heat uh, to an extraordinary degree that it would expand the nodes of the plants. Um, it, I think it's a very good theory. Unfortunately, it doesn't explain how the plants are not damaged. And the problem with microwaves 
is a, is a frequency that even Marconi, when he was developing radio, found very detrimental to uh, any uh, kind of uh, living tissue. And this is where I began to look at sound and see how sound could do that, because I read so many reports from uh, very good trance mediums who had predicted the crop circles uh, back in the early days of the 80s. And they kept talking about uh, sound being uh, responsible, and I couldn't quite piece it together until I read a fantastic book called Secret Lives of Plants, uh, <laughs> yes. obviously. Yes. And I found that the uh, Indian government had been doing studies as far back as 1910 on sound and uh, rep the reproductive uh, tissue of plants, and, and the answers were right there. They were able to replicate exactly the same cellular structure, uh, structural changes to plants. Uh, the heating of the soil came later with uh, uh, processes that were found at Princeton University, where you take uh, sound below the human hearing range, you throw it at a, at a uh, tube of water, and that water would basically boil in one nanosecond. Uh, and that's what basically was happening inside the, uh, the real crop circles. The water was expanding. It was elongating the, the nodes. And uh, then, just like when you make a cup of tea, uh, the more you boil the water, the more it expands. So the water inside the stem has to go somewhere. It's uh, expanding. And that's where we began to find those little holes in the nose of the plants. Uh, that's the plant's knuckles. And those holes were created by the water, literally uh, finding the softest part of the tissue and creating a blowhole from which you could ex escape a steam. And that's the, uh, the effects of infrasound uh, that, uh, that are caused on water when you apply several atmospheres of pressure uh, to the sound. So suddenly we had a, uh, had a, a, a good theory uh, that was, is complementary to the microwave but less destructive. But the soil is where the fun really began because, um, again, science has a hard time trying to understand crop circles because of the, uh, you know, the, the laughing problem that people uh, come across the, the subject. I mean, you don't talk about crop circles in normal conversation without being laughed at, and these people have 10 years to maintain. So... Um, at some point, there were soil samples that were sent to the University of uh, New Hampshire, and um, they were basically blind experiments, and uh, they, they had comparisons in which to judge them by. And I think some samples went to UCLA as well. And uh, the scientists looked at both samples, and obviously one was normal, and the other one, something very drastic had happened. Uh, the crystalline structure of the soil had altered dramatically. And they came to the final conclusion, to cut a very long story short, uh, that uh, the only way that this soil's crystalline structure could have been altered was to have left it under a small mountain range uh, where the pressure would have subjected it to about 1,500 degrees Celsius and altered the crystalline pattern of the soil. So it was much to their surprise that uh, they were uh, told that the uh, sample that they'd actually been studying that had these effects actually was topsoil from within a crop circle, and that got their attention. Uh, you don't get to hear about that much in public, but that's what really motivated them to understand that there's some kind of, again, force that could do this to soil. And again, uh, sound uh, is capable of doing that when you use it above and below the human hearing range. What about the crop yield uh, in the, the year following? Um, in other words, the seeds or the seed embryos, are they affected in such a way as to produce uh, greater yields or, or, or less yield in the following year? Well, that's the funny thing. If the uh, energy interacts with the crop when it's still young and in vitalic, uh, then the seed growth actually starts accelerating right there in front of you. And again, if, if you are very fortunate to leave the plants alone, uh, and this really comes from the, uh, the eyes of farmers. Uh, they're the first ones to have noticed this. Um, they said that they, if this energy interacts with the crop at a young stage, the plants, if they're left alone, they come back up to the light, 
and they actually start to uh, exceed the growth of the plants around them. And uh, again, seed samples, germination tests in the laboratory and other control experiments do show that if you apply this energy uh, very stuffy to the seeds, they do actually start germinating much uh, earlier. They also start uh, generating uh, seeds when you replant them, which uh, have an extra number of seeds in the seed heads. Uh, and incredibly, when you replant the seeds from a genuine crop circle and put them into soil next to a hoax crop circle or even just a normal seed, after about three weeks of uh, um, germination tests, the seeds from the genuine crop circle are outgrowing the normal seed by two to one. And it's really, anybody can do this at home. It's a, it's a wonderful test. So there's a wonderful benefit to farmers, uh, which is kind of useful when someone tries to actually shoot you when you <laughs> in their land without their permission. Right, uh, indeed. You point out the obvious that there is something, some benefit, and they'll say, well, of course there's a great benefit. I've known this for years. So they are very aware of this. And um, the funny thing is that on occasion, and this is almost magical, uh, on occasion uh, when uh, people have had crop circles on their land uh, and uh, they have few visitors, um, what happens is that the energy stays in the land for years to come. It's as if uh, visitors to crop circle act as blotting paper and they soak up some of the energy, which explains a lot of the unusual effects. So the following year, when the crop has been reseeded, what happens is that they plant the seed in the, in the soil and the area affected by the crop circle previously is now outgrowing the rest of the field so you get the reverse pattern and that's almost magical indeed all right we'll come back and talk more about crop circles Freddy silva here on the conspiracy show stay with us if everything's ready here on the dark side of the moon play the five tones take a look around What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. These are ancient, sacred symbols. And in my opinion, the phenomenon appears to reawaken our hidden memories of these ancient symbols of communication to tell mankind that we are really entering a new age, the age when the gods return. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Freddie Silva is with us. The author of Secrets in the Fields, we're talking about crop circles. uh, Freddie, you have uh, um, suggested that encoded in these crop circles uh, are sacred geometry. Oh, very much so. Um, And uh, it's funny that when the... um, um, I I should point out that the crop circle phenomenon is not new. I mean, it's been going around for several hundred years. It's only in the last part of the 20th century that suddenly it began to rise uh, exponentially uh, into the uh, latter part and the end of the 20th century. And uh, the funny thing is that when they began to reappear in the 1980s, they were simple circles and rings. And um, extraordinarily, when you actually sit down and measure the um, designs and you look at the spacing between the flattened areas, the relationship between the, a simple circle and an outer ring actually reveals a perfect geometry. Uh, so sometimes the shape can actually betray what's actually inside it, uh, and that's part of the fun of decoding it, is the amount of information that's encoded geometrically. 
Uh, and people have asked, you know, well, well, why geometry? I mean, why not just write things in English? Well, uh, first of all, we wouldn't take it seriously. We'd uh, take it as a joke if someone wrote, we are from Mars in the middle of a field. Uh, and geometry is that much more mysterious. It's, uh, when you're working with symbols, symbols get your attention. And if you encode geometry and symbols, what you're doing is you're working with the universe's uh, or nature's own language. It's a universal form of communication. Uh, if you look at the geometry of, uh, of cells, of plants, they are geometric. If you look at the uh, crystalline structure of human DNA, that's also geometric. So the best way to circumvent the problem of uh, the human brain, if you're trying to communicate from one civilization to another, uh, which I believe is what's going on here, um, you don't want the ego to get in the way. So you bypass the brain and you encode uh, geometry, which first of all is beautiful, elegant, and harmonious. And then some bright spark uh, looks at this, puts it on a piece of paper, and slowly uh, that, uh, that sort of diagram is disseminated around the world through the Internet or through books. And people, uh, without even realizing what it is that they're looking at, they react to it, and usually very emotionally. And that's what happens when you use geometry to communicate between one organism and the other. You don't have to go through that troublesome thing called the brain. Uh, that happens much later. Uh, the first emotional response is really between you, the cells of your own body, and the uh, crop circle itself. And it's a very elegant way of communicating. Uh, you know, back in the old days, they used to do this with pyramids. Uh, if you ever go to Egypt and you look at uh, diverse pyramids, the one thing that will slowly become obvious to you is that each one of them has a different effect on you visually. And then when you, if you are bothered to look at the slope angle of each pyramid and work out a very simple mathematical formula, you find that each slope angle corresponds to a different type of geometry. Uh, and that's where the penny drops, that each building was designed with a different angle to encode a different geometry to have a different effect on you. And the Russians took this to the ultimate extreme. They, in the 50s, when they were hard up for, for money, they took a look at all of this esoteric information and they said, well, what if it's true if people like the Knights Templar, who are behind the building of so many Gothic cathedrals and so much of uh, the Islamic culture that uh, uses so much geometry to build its mosques, what if it's true that all of these buildings and sacred spaces have a profound effect on your state of awareness and possibly your ability to heal yourself? And that's where the big connection comes with crop circles and why people are having such an incredible psychological and physical effect with them. Because what the Russians found was that when you place sick people in a room shaped like a pentagram, which is the traditional symbol of healing, uh, people start to actually recuperate much faster without being told why. Same thing with schizophrenic patients. When you put them into a trapezoidal-shaped room, the rate of recovery is much faster. And the same thing happens to blood when you put it in a spherical shape. Uh, it coalesces much faster than it would in, in any other kind of environment. So the uh, hard-up uh, Russians that uh, needed some money to build uh, hospitals finally found that you can have a much better effect uh, on the human body's state of awareness by creating a geometric shape, and that will influence it. So it brings us back to the way why a crop circles being uh, created using sacred geometry, either overtly or most of the time actually encoded into them, is because it has this profound effect right down to the very core of DNA. And if you look at the crystalline structure of human DNA, you'll find at the very core of who we are, we are bonds of pentagons and hexagons stuck one to another. And you find that those two geometries above all others uh, are very prominent within the crop circle field. So, the, I mean, has there been an electromagnetic field measured inside crop circle? Oh, totally. And that's the one thing that gives away the hoaxes immediately, because they don't have one. 
Uh, and you can do this very simply using a pair of coat hangers. Uh, if you happen to be a dowser, you can go out with your dowsing tools and you can pick this up uh, very, very easily. And if you don't happen to trust dowsing, even though the military uses it all the time, uh, in fact, even my local city council in Portland, Maine, still employs dowsers to look for underground pipes. So obviously something works. Um, but if you don't trust dowsing, you can basically borrow a, a $40,000 magnetometer and you can go in there and check out the same thing. And you will find that there is an energy field that uh, lasts for a considerable time, sometimes up to five years after the physical pattern has disappeared. And it literally corresponds to the actual uh, pattern that has been laid down on the floor. And it shows that the energy not just retains along the soil, it goes to some distance beneath the soil. And as we found from pilots flying over the crop circles at certain times of the day, it also interferes with the uh, airplane's equipment, navigational equipment above the crop circle, but not outside it. So we're not just dealing with an electromagnetic field that hovers around the, the uh, soil at, in a, a two-dimensional level. This thing is three-dimensional. What we're seeing in the crop circle is a slice of an orange, because this thing goes above and below the soil as well. So these um, geometric shapes and, and containing the sacred geometry, if there's a message here, I mean, who's, who's in charge in the, in the circle-chasing community to catalog each one of these? Because if perhaps these, are all, these messages are all sort of building one upon the other, uh, it's like, you know, if you're watching... Um, I'm trying to think of that TV show Lost. You know, I remember we watched the first season. We missed parts of the second season, and then we were lost. So is it like <laughs> that with crop circles? Unless you are, are paying attention and sort of watch every episode, we might miss something integral. And it also works the other way. If you pay way too much attention, you take everything for granted. Uh, for example, this year, I, I haven't seen a single real crop circle yet. I've seen nothing but evidence of human man-made uh, circles, and very good ones as well. Uh, and that's the problem with the hoaxing. It's diffusing the information and it's chasing people uh, or making people chase their own tails. Uh, and this has been going on for quite some time, uh, although before 1991, uh, there was hardly any hoaxing going on. And uh, I always tell people, if you really want to get into the idea of the, what the crop circles are about, then look at the stuff uh, originally done by Pat Delgado and Colin Andrews and look at their catalog of, of information all the way to 1991. And that's almost 99% genuine. Uh, the problem of, with uh, throwing in the, uh, as I call it, the, uh, the, the, the notes that have been printed on, off someone's machine, the, uh, <laughs> uh, like people used to do in the old days to do value or currency, they would throw in uh, fake notes into the system. Uh, that's what's happening since then, slowly, bit by bit. Not, you, you get sort of a rise in hoaxing as the end of the 20th century comes by, but it doesn't help. So you have to, first of all, do your groundwork you have to find out what's real, what's fake. Uh, and then you catalog it. Um, there's still a couple of German kids in Europe who are still cataloging everything every year. Uh, I, I gave up about eight years ago. I just go around talking uh, and talking and talking, so I don't have the time all the time. But we have enough information to show, first of all, that there is a progression of information. Uh, and that progression uh, is mathematical. Uh, some of the crop circles are encoding mathematical theorems that uh, even Euclid didn't figure out in his 13 books on mathematics, and they should have been there by logic. There is a gap where those five new mathematical theories should have been. He could have figured it out, and the circle makers filled them in. Uh, since then, we've had more complex mathematical theorems come up after that, and uh, we also have information that's engineering-based. Um, again, multiple levels of information within the same symbols uh, some of these engin engineering uh, symbols are schematics, uh, kind of like the film Contact. 
where uh, Jodie Foster basically you know, puts those uh, four pieces of paper together and you get this blueprint from a machine. And this is based on psychic material that was given us back in 85 uh, that some people would be used to unravel a machine that was uh, going to defy gravity. Well, sure enough, uh, there was one uh, group of uh, researchers in uh, Britain back in the early 1990s that found, uh, and you have to get to the original cover of my, my, uh, my book, Secrets in the Fields, before they changed the cover. Uh, there's a picture of a tetrahedron on there. Uh, it's a very famous crop circle. And it really got their attention, and they analyzed it to death. And they found that by building a physical machine built to that specification, they've got an anti-gravity device. And they weren't the only people to do it. There was also a gentleman in Oklahoma that built a full-scale model in his garage, and he's going to lift off the ground as well. Uh, he's gone very quiet since then. Mm. Uh, and um, there's also a, uh, a group of people in Australia, so I have been told uh, by the editor of a famous magazine down there, uh, that they are quietly working away on an anti-gravity device based on the designs of crop circles. Uh, so that's just that information. And then there's the, the really astonishing one, uh, which when I was talking to a couple of physicists in London, they said that there was one particular design that really got their attention back in 1990. It looked like a big dumbbell shape with a key. And they measured it. I mean, they meticulously surveyed this design. And at the end of several hours, farmer comes along and says, do you realize that there's an identical crop circle to this about a mile away from here, and it happened the same night? And they said, no, they weren't aware of it, so they went over, they measured that, and they found that it's almost identical to the other crop circle, but there are small discrepancies. And what they found, uh, again, to cut a very long story short, uh, they found that there were uh, discrepancies between the two designs which clumped into three units of measurements. And the first unit of measurements uh, they realized that it was the actual value of what we know to be the speed of light. So they finally extrapolated through logic that these two crop circles between them, when you uh, halve the differences, they were giving us the first speed of light, the second speed of light, and the third speed of light. Now, back then, science only acknowledged that light travels at one speed. Six years later, science finally went on record, and I believe this was published in Nature, uh, that actually the universe is composed of two different speeds of light. Uh, are there possibly three speeds of light? And if so, the circle makers are three steps ahead of us, and they're feeding us very useful information. All right, Freddie, uh, as are you. Uh, let's um, come back and continue to discuss uh, crop circles. If we are able, in fact, to identify where in the cosmos the uh, crop circles are coming from, who is trying to contact us, where are they? What do they want ultimately? And how are they doing it? Are they using sound frequencies? Are they using uh, something uh, in nature here and, uh, you know, deep within the planet Earth? Is that what's responsible? We'll get to all that and more. Freddie Silva on Crop Circles here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. Thing 
these bridges have in common are five, six. I hope somebody's taking all this down. What are we saying to each other? Seems they're trying to teach you some basic tonal vocabulary. It's the first day of school, fellas. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Freddie Silva stays with us uh, until the bottom of the hour, and then we'll open up the phones and uh, do some open lines until the uh, program closes. Let's say hello to Doug, who is in Indiana, the Hoosier State. Doug, welcome. Yeah, I'm listening to your uh, program on crop circles, and uh, years ago there was a show, I think it was Unsolved Mysteries of Robert Stack, and there was a a field or valley that had a lot of... uh, occurrences of crop circles and so they staked it out with cameras and I don't know if uh, your uh, your uh, crop circle expert there has seen this uh, footage or whatever but uh, it caught a couple glowing orbs making some high-speed maneuvers over this valley and didn't last more than maybe a couple seconds but they caught that on film and uh, next day they found uh, crop circles in that valley and if, if I could mention, too, that uh, I've happened to de- done a little reading uh, on crop circles. There's a book made by Steve and Karen Alexander. It's excellent on the photography of multiple crop circles in this book. If you have a chance to get that somewhere, it's well worth it. Doug, I appreciate the call from Indiana. Thank you. Okay, thank you. All right. Uh, Freddie, are you familiar with that uh, particular uh, video footage or film footage? I know it only too well. I was one of the only three people who originally saw the original footage, and I could. I, uh, <laughs> if you don't want to have your heart broken, that uh, plug your ears right now. Uh, it's a fraud. Uh, right from the beginning, they had me staked out right from the beginning, and the film was supposed to take me out, and as well as Colin Andrews as well. And here's a, here's the quick story about it. I wrote the whole thing out in the book. Uh, the people, by the way, were caught there by the police. Uh, they owned up to the whole fraud, and they said that. Uh, they basically want to make a lot of money out of it. And the guy actually worked for a video facility in Bristol, England. Um, at the end of the season, I believe it was in 1996 when it happened, uh, someone tried to approach me and said that they wanted to go out and film crop circles appearing. And I said, well, you're a bit late because uh, the season's kind of over. And they said, uh, well, if I wanted to go and do it, uh, where should I go? And I gave him several places to go. And uh, the place where he eventually ended up going was not the place where I told him to go. And uh, two days later, they caught up with me at a pub in the south of England, uh, also called the research facility uh, to us researchers. Yes. And... Um, uh, I'll have to remember that one. That's a that's a very good. Uh... <laughs> oh, where, where a volume of research are consumed in the pursuit of understanding. <laughs> yes, and um, these people jumped at me and said that we've caught something on film. It's explosive, and uh, I thought, well, okay. I thought this sounds a little bit too convenient. And how did you know that I was even here? And uh, I looked at the footage. And uh, my uh, partner, Jane Ross, looked at the footage as well. And, uh, and I should also point out to people that I spent half of my life working in television uh, and design, so I know what I look at when I look for a television camera. Uh, and also there was the um, editor of a uh, magazine. Uh, he's passed away now uh, a few years ago, Nick Nicholson. Uh, we're the only three people that saw the original footage. And in the original footage, there is a crop circle formed, fully formed, on a field, uh, and then these balls of light fly over it, and we went, wow, balls of light over a crop circle. 
And all three of us remember that conversation uh, instinctively because we said, well, at no point did any balls of light uh, were shown creating a crop circle. And I was very suspicious of it. And I said, well, look, hang on to this tape, uh, because if it turns out to be uh, real, then obviously someone who at the time was much more a better place than I because uh, my book hadn't come out yet, so my credentials weren't out. But I called up Colin Andrews, who was the acknowledged expert at the time. And I said, look, Colin, you better have a look at this, uh, because if it's, exp- if it's uh, real, it could be quite explosive. We finally caught these elusive balls of light flying around the crop circle, uh, which is what the farmers keep telling us. Uh, well, cut a long story short, they made themselves unavailable for a whole week. And by the time Colin got to see the footage, unknowns to me, uh, they had actually doctored the footage and actually uh, designed it to make it look like the crop circles being created. Uh, and we didn't know this until Colin and I met up three months later, because he said to me, well, you must admit, even though we've caught the guy and he's admitted it, that it was a whole, uh, a whole hoax, uh, you must admit it was very impressive how they made the crop circle appear on film, and that's where the ball dropped. I said, no, that's not what we saw originally. Uh, and also, I went out the next day and looked at the, the crop circle in question, and it was a mess. It was an absolute disaster. It, it looked like the mating ritual between elephants. Um, <laughs> it was the most horrible thing I've ever seen. And uh, the guy said that I told him to go to that field. I said, under no circumstances would I ever send anyone to that field because we hardly get anything there. Uh, so the whole thing was set up from the beginning. However, uh, to, um, you know, to bring the story back to a positive note, it's not actually that far to how crop circles are created. And the originator of that uh, video did have the idea to create that as a, originally as a film footage to end the documentary to show the possibility of how they are created. And ATI witnesses do tell that these things, regardless of size, they take 15 seconds or less to uh, be created, often uh, originating from a swirl motion, which is exactly true. And uh, the balls of light are often associated either before or after the event, which is true. Uh, but the thing that really creates them, and military people as well as policemen and uh, farm workers have seen this, uh, there's a beam of light that comes somewhere from the atmosphere that comes down and rotates the crop in front of their eyes and retracts within 15 seconds. Now, Assume, a lot of these eyewitnesses are from the Victorian era, so we can gladly say that it's not satellite technology. That has been uh, offered up as an explanation, perhaps even U.S. military satellites. Yes, and that, of course, didn't have satellites back in the 1870s when they saw these beams of light as well, so we can obviously discount that. Uh, maybe they might be creating something today. Uh, I do have... I mean, the hard thing about promoting these conspiracies is that there's so little evidence to back them up. Uh, but I, I am open to uh, thinking that uh, there is some intervention from military satellites in terms of spreading energy onto these crop circles, because I've seen uh, crop circles that look very good, and then when I do the research, they are actually handmade. You can tell because they've got the construction lines under the ground. And, uh, but they are giving off microwave energy. Now, microwave energy is very fleeting. Uh, with it, by the mid-morning, it's gone. And real crop circles, the energy is there for years. And it also interferes with people's brainwaves. Uh, it makes you very ill. And uh, there are at least five cases I can point uh, in the late 90s in Britain where I had this, uh, you know, five designs which I could not place either as hoaxed or real. They're in this box that says, you know, maybe it's something else. Some kind of technology has come along, beamed energy, uh, microwave energy over the crop circle. And that's totally feasible. We have that technology just to throw us off the scent. So but, there is that third option as well. But the, the, um, the correlation and the connection between these orbs 
and the formation of these circles, that doesn't necessarily uh, mean that these are connected to UFOs. I mean, there aren't, there, are, there aren't UFO sightings around crop circles necessarily, are there? They're very rare. Uh, in terms of physical craft, they're very, very rare. And then you have to take people at their face value. Uh, these things, these orbs, I've seen them with my naked eye, and believe me, it changes your life. Are they angelic? Uh, um, they, uh, I did some research on this, and you, again, you have to take this at face value. Because uh, I, I, I put the, all the evidence in the book, and I'd rather people would just make up their own minds. But uh, speaking be, between us on air... Uh, I did some research and linked them to the uh, the Will of the Wisp, uh, which is this strange concept in Britain of a sort of a fairy-like presence. Uh, and I spoke to a very good trans medium on this, who even the police work with because uh, she has a 99% record of finding you know dead bodies and things like that. So she can be trusted. She was the original person that actually gave us the origin of where this stuff is coming from. And during one of those occasions where she's under trance, I asked about these balls of light, and they said they basically spirit forms uh, in a way that they are, they, they are operating on a frequency that's so above the human carnal frequency because, you know, we human beings are very dense um, objects. We operate, let's say, at 88 FM. Uh, these uh, beings operate at 200 FM. And the only way that they can interact with us without physicalizing on our level, which they definitely don't want to do, uh, probably because they've been here, they know how difficult it is to make a living. Um, the only way they can make themselves visible to us is to slow down their rate of frequency, which just happens to be the highest frequency that we can perceive as human beings, which is the light spectrum. And that made a lot of sense. They perceive them, they show themselves as balls of light. Uh, you can communicate with these things. You can tell them to go left or right, and they, and they literally do it there in front of you. Um, they're about beach ball size, the most incredible color. I, I have no words to describe the color intensity. Uh, and they always follow the magnetic lines of the Earth's energy grid. Uh, and they always go between one sacred site and the other because the sacred sites, like the genuine crop circles, are always built on the magnetic lines of the Earth. So they're using these lines as conveyor belts. And I used to sit there in Wiltshire uh, in the center of England where we get a lot of crop circle activity. You know, just having a, 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 an apple on top of a, 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 a sacred mound, and I would watch these balls of light flying across the land at enormous speed, um, again, following the energy lines that I just doused only the previous week. So uh, they are conscious. You can interact with them, and they have a vicious sense of humor as well. They're very funny. How so? Well, there'd be those times uh, when uh, we would get from our psychic friends information that's going to be a crop circle appearing in a certain field. We'd go, great, goody, let's go over there and case the joint. So we'd be there all night, wrapped up in blankets, uh, brandy flasks at the ready, because it gets, you know, it gets very damp uh, in England, uh, and uh, you'd be amazed how cold you get. So you keep the brandy just to keep you sharp all night long. And uh, you'd be there watching this field all night, and by five in the morning, the light of the uh, sun is beginning to creep up of the horizon. And it's painfully obvious that, uh, obviously, the information didn't quite uh, add up. And we pack up our stuff, we turn around, and it happened right behind us. So they're just trying to reassure us that we can communicate, but they don't want to give it all away. They're very mischievous when it comes to that. So uh, are we then not talking about, uh, when I say they, I mean the, the originators of these crop circles. We're not necessarily talking about something extraterrestrial. We could be talking about something interdimensional. Absolutely. Uh, and in this case, you'd have to take a very leap, a big leap of faith and accept that we are living in a uh, holographic universe where there are different life forms which are not necessarily physical at all. They're spirit forms. Uh, they are possibly very physical on their level of reality, but not in the way that we can perceive. 
But however, they can communicate with us just the same. And if you look through history, um, again, uh, just to sort of try to quote the last chapter of the book, which talks about the origin of the circles and who's behind the actual core of circle making, uh, there is a group consciousness, and they gave, the, gave their name as the Watchers or the Shining Ones, and they said, well, we appear in your history at certain pivotal moments where humanity needs a certain element of help to shift its focus so it's a stops destroying itself uh, it too it believes that there is there's another life force outside of the earth um, give us, gives us some hope to believe in and three it allows us to give you information without interfering in your path now that makes a lot of sense and anybody that's obviously seen star trek understands this as the prime directive yes you yes. cannot directly interfere in the development of another race so there, we have, uh, through the Christian uh, sort of belief, we have come to accept these as guardian angels. Now these appear in Celtic law as fairies. Uh, we're talking about exactly the same people. We all call them by different things. The Arabs call them the jinn, or the Allah jinn, or Aladdin as we call it now. Um, and these are guides who operate on a very, very high level of frequency. Again, like 300 FM on the radio dial. Uh, and they basically uh, manifest at certain times in our history when we need some help, such as, uh, coincidentally, right now. And um, the, uh, what came through the original channeling material, which I've actually spent a half of my life trying to validate, I believe I've done a pretty good job doing it, um, is that there is a core group of consciousness that is guiding the original crop circles. And then you have peripheral uh, entities who are giving specific information, some of it's spiritual, some of it's technical, some of it is actually just meant for the earth, which is why a lot of people go into crop circles and they don't like being in there, and it actually makes them very ill for a short space of time because the frequency is not for us. It's meant for somebody else. And then, just to make the uh, whole thing even more complicated, you have human people who are being influenced to make crop circles, uh, and this is where the gray area comes in. And I believe this is correct because some of the hoaxes in the early days, they were so freaked by what they were forced to, and this is their own words. They were forced to do this when they went to the middle of a field at night without a preconceived plan, and they changed their plan and made something extraordinarily complex without any uh, you know, ropes or anything. They just basically did it freehand, and what they saw in the morning absolutely freaked them because it was a, a beautiful pattern. And it's, uh, they said that you know, it's as if we're being guided to actually do something. And I, po I posited this question back to the, uh, uh, the trance medium, and what came back was, well, they said that, you know, that in order to make the crop circles, we have to bend the laws of nature, but we can only do so much. You know, the, the laws obey certain uh, universal principles, but sometimes the information has to come through. It's important for some uh, people or scientists who are working on something to receive the information. So we go out looking for people who might be predisposed to actually doing something, and we put the idea into their heads, and it's up to their free will to do with it what they may. And that tied in very neatly with what some of these hoaxes were saying. And they eventually ended up being researchers because they said, there is a conscious source out there that's influencing us to do this because we can't explain it. Um, and then on top of this, you've got people who go out and do, make crop circles spiritually, and they also get replies. And I was with two German scientists who rent a piece of land every year. They make the most beautiful, crafted thing. It's a work of love. And I'll be sitting there watching the energy lines actually move towards their design. So it's this magnetic attraction that they've created through their work. And out of my mouth will come the most ridiculous statement. And I'll say, you know, next morning there's going to be a crop circle under that hill over there. And we'll go to bed, wake up next morning, and there'll be a crop circle exactly where it said uh, it would happen. 
So there is a validation process that's going on that's saying you can communicate with another level of reality to get information that helps you to move forward as human beings. And then, of course, on top of all of this, you've got the other end of the spectrum, which is, of course, is the hoaxing, which is done uh, uh, partly by uh, government-funded uh, hoaxes, which we have now outed for yes, many years. I want to I want to get to the uh, the, to Doug, the, the, the Dugs and Daves and and who might might have been behind them and why. Uh, let's grab a quick call, uh, Sergi. Is it Sergi in Toronto? Yes. Hello. Hi. Uh, welcome. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, my question is: uh, so far, your discussion has been centered about characteristics of a single crop circle and let's leave aside those that were artificially produced and my question is has there been an attempt to study them in totality meaning maybe one of them would be like a letter and the totality or some set of them would correspond to a text or maybe even the text unfolds in time you know, so uh, that's the essence of my question. Thank that's you. that's a great question, Sergey. I was I was sort of alluding to that a little bit earlier, but I didn't uh, say it so succinctly as you just did. But so thank you for that, uh, uh, Freddie. That's a good question. That's a great question. And yes, it's elusive. Um, I mean, I've made a small effort in trying to just um, sit back for a minute and look at the uh, hundreds and hundreds of designs that are out there and just get into that space where you're not really looking at something, and it, you allow the picture to come through. And uh, sometimes I'll see patterns whereby, um, for example, in the first, um, first years of the, the modern phase of the crop circle phenomenon, which is the 80s, you could see a progression each season. And each season, you'd show us different symbols based on our understanding of physics. And slowly, uh, the, the characteristics would develop each year. They would show us the certain physical elements of how chemistry is made or the water bonds are made just to establish a commonality. Uh, by the same token, there were, uh, a lot of the early crop circles could actually be read by ancient cultures because they saw the, exactly the same shapes carved in petroglyphs all around the world. And that's when we realized the meaning of a circle connected to a uh, line connected to another circle, which is communicating from the spirit world to the physical world. So we had that basic uh, sort of uh, message, if you like, of just establishing contact. Uh, and then uh, it's a matter of just pulling back a little bit more and looking at the uh, uh, crop circles that appeared in the same field in different locations, which over the course of nine years, in one case, had three different crop circles with similar characteristics, but the characteristics kept developing. So when you put the three together, you start extrapolating information. Uh, and we still have not come up yet with a, a grand unified theory of everything, and we're still waiting for some very clever person, uh, maybe Sergei is one of them, uh, because this is how it happens. Someone with a passion for the subject suddenly looked at this from a complete different field and gets that big aha. So that big unified uh, sort of message still hasn't come through, uh, unless you're looking for just a spiritual message, which is very simple which is either we take care of ourselves and the planet or basically we ain't going to be around for much longer. And that seems to be coming through quite uh, readily in, in the entire phenomenon. But um, if someone out there wants to have a go at the entire thing, uh, absolutely be my guest and let me know because we're still looking for it. Well, I, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, this, even if you, you know, take out the extraterrestrials or the interdimensional entities, I mean, scientists should be interested in this and they should be studying it, even if it's at a very sort of ground type uh, eye level. 
Uh, oh, so NASA is studying it. I have had letters from NASA saying, we are studying this with great interest. We'll never admit it. And will you please send me the answer to this question in my private email at home? Ah, interesting. All right. Well, um, just a few moments <laughs> that we'll, we'll uh, take a time out and a few more questions remain. Freddie Silva on Crop Circles. All indications are that uh, this is part of a pattern of powerful, unusual intelligence showing itself on the planet. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. The truth will set you free, but first, it'll really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Freddie Silva, the website Crop Circle Secrets org CropCircleSecrets.org. And you mentioned Pat Delgado, former NASA engineer, uh, Freddie, and there's a great quote on the, uh, the homepage. It is, perf- it, it is perfectly natural to ask if crop circles are hoaxes, but very difficult to explain why they cannot be hoaxed satisfactorily. Well, I think you actually have explained over the course of the evening why they cannot be hoaxed satisfactorily. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about uh, uh, the hoaxers. And and uh, various hoaxers, I guess, have had various motives. You mentioned some that might actually, uh, they are they are art of they are man-made uh, crop circles, but the the motivation may be um, somewhat spiritual, very different, yeah, uh, or even divi- uh, guided by some um, other consciousness. Uh, but let's talk about the uh, about Doug and Dave and uh, how it was discovered that, in fact, MI5 or MI6 may have been behind these two gentlemen. Uh, a long time before it came out in public, actually, uh, one of the original researchers actually uh, was very useful because he had a, a friend of his who was a uh, high-ranking uh, contact within MI, uh, MI6, I believe, and uh, he actually warned him to warn the rest of the research community, not to, and I quote this, uh, not to stake our reputations on the crop circle phenomenon because in a few weeks the British government or the British Ministry of Defense would be making two uh, uh, local artists uh, responsible for the entire phenomenon, end of quote. So it was already known within MI6 that uh, something was being plotted. And uh, when these two, um, <laughs> these two idiots basically came out uh, into the press conference at the, end of the, uh, at the very end of the season in 1991, after which all the evidence is gone, um, they basically, it was clear to the people who knew uh, in the room that they had just regurgitated published information in the crop circles, which at that, at that point was maybe about 20% of the entire phenomenon. I mean, there was a lot of information that was being held back, uh, not because of any secrecy, but just because of publishing commitments and also restraints. And uh, a, a lot of this stuff was never published. So when the uh, cameras stopped rolling and the press had gone home to uh, write about, yeah, w- these two idiots did everything, um, they forgot to actually sit down and listen to what the researchers in the room were then throwing back at Doug and Dave uh, with the information that hadn't been published. And that's where they began to trip up again and again and again. And um, by the end of the uh, cross-examination uh, of Doug and Dave, it's quite clear that even those two didn't know which circles they, uh, uh, they had made. Uh, in fact, if they even made any at all, uh, they kept uh, actually tripping up over their own story. And then when we, for example, said to them, so you've been active in the county of uh, Wiltshire where all the crop circles appeared. They said, oh, absolutely. And then we said, well, how come most of the crop circles appeared in the county of Hampshire, which is nowhere near here? And they said, well, um, no, no, that wasn't us then. 
And uh, if you made this one in this particular field this night, then who made this one uh, in America in the same evening, <laughs> uh, at the same moment? Does that mean you've actually traveled through time and went to America and you in two places at the same time? And they began to basically backtrack all their information and claim that other groups of hoaxes suddenly were also copying them, even though no one knew that they were actually uh, out making anything. So the whole story unraveled very, very quickly. But, uh, and I think it was the Washington Post and the Independent in London and the Swiss newspaper were the only major tabloids that uh, basically didn't buy the story. And uh, after watching the evidence that uh, you know, Doug and Dave took uh, the press out to see how they uh, show how they made the, a crop circle using uh, planks and uh, uh, back sights, which they had strapped to a baseball cap, which is ridiculous because you can't work that way, especially in the middle of the night because you, ha- you can't see anything. Um, the evidence that was left behind was so awful that the, uh, I think it was the Independent, uh, or, no, I think it was the Washington Post said, I had more um, tr- trouble believing uh, in uh, Doug and Dave than I would have believing little green men. <laughs> so well, why would the British Secret Service, all. why would the British Secret Service uh, recruit these two yahoos to do all of this? Well, that was the big debate. So what, if these things are supposed to be a big joke, why, and you can read this in the Minister of Parliament in Britain as well, where you know, Margaret Thatcher actually donated something like $40,000 to, uh, to the military to keep the crop circle va- uh, uh, phenomenon under surveillance. If the whole thing is a joke, why are we spending taxpayers' money uh, on a joke? And of course, when you we began to uh, connect with uh, scientists, mathematicians, who were beginning to extract information about lighter than gravity uh, technology, uh, a previously unknown mathematical theorems and all that kind of stuff, and free speeds of light, then obviously this is very important because, well, they had no idea, the military uh, and, the, and the defense people had no idea that uh, this was even going on. Uh, and they uh, had no record of it. They had no contact with what they thought might be aliens. And we all know that they've kept the, alien, the whole UFO uh, subject under surveillance for many decades. So suddenly they realized that uh, there, here's a part of the alien uh, whole uh, subject that had escaped them. And, of course, with any government, the, uh, the thing that they work with is paranoia. They, they have to keep everything under control and surveillance so they can understand it. And once they can understand it, they can own it. And once they own it, they can sell it back to you and me in a very measured way. And it's really that simple. It's about fear of the unknown and not having control over something. Uh, and it really comes down to just human nature. And uh, the fact is that they have no control of the crop circles. They can't just put the sign in the field and say, please don't make any more crop circles here, because it's just not going to happen. And the biggest part of it, and this was very obvious in 1990, when the big pictograms suddenly began to appear overnight, you know, 600 feet long, uh, with beautiful encrypted messages in it about love um, and transformation, and all based on the uh, petroglyphs that we've seen etched in, uh, in uh, rocks around the world, uh, thousands of people began to descend in the fields of England like pilgrimage, as if a new religion suddenly had occurred. And that really is bad news, because then you can't control people once you start a religious movement. And that's where the, the penny dropped that they thought, well, within a year, we've got to get some uh, explanation for this that can just make fun of this whole phenomenon, just like the UFO phenomenon, basically, uh, was disparaged in a very laughable manner. And once people start adding ridicule to any subject, most of the public just walks away. And, of course, it's worked to a huge degree because that's what you see on National Geographic every year and then the Discovery Channel every year. They pay people to go out and make crop circles. They film them, and they'll say, oh, we call people at it. Well, of course you did. You paid them to go and make something for the cameras. 
and that keeps a lot of the public uh, attention away from a subject that might be attracting ridicule to themselves. And nobody wants to be associated with ridicule. So it really, it's really harks back to uh, a fundamental flaw in human nature uh, about fear and loss of control. Uh, what's what's next, Freddie? I mean, are you uh, are you hearing something in the whether it's uh, in the psychic community or with other researchers that are you waiting for some big development, a big crop circle that's rumored to go that's going to appear somewhere? What are you waiting for? Um, I'm waiting to to see if I, what I wrote back in 2002, and, the, and believe me, the book has not actually um, devalued one day since then. Um, uh, I want to find out if everything that I wrote in that book actually is absolutely correct. Uh, I would love to see this, like Sergei say, uh, said earlier, um, a unified message. Uh, I might not be the one that cracks it. Uh, I don't really care. I mean, for me, there's always got to be a bit of mystery to everything. Um, but what I want to see is where it develops, because hand on heart, I can honestly say that since 2003, uh, maybe 5% of the crop circles are now genuine. There's a lot of hoaxing going on. And that, to me, tells me that the information that we or the transmission of information that we've been given has been done, and we are sitting on it. We just got to get on and move with it, because they keep feeding us information each year, and for us to be making such little uh, forward progress, or at least to have covered maybe 30% of what we already have, uh, means that by giving us more information, it doesn't really help. It becomes just a show, and the crop circles are not here to perform. They are performing uh, a very important function in the development of the human race. And the whole thing really has become a huge circus. So one thing that I would like to see is for the hoaxing to go away. I'd love to see for this whole commercial circus that's now been developed on the back of the phenomenon to go away because it's not helping. It's creating a false religion. And if people want to believe that, that's great. If it brings them happiness, I'm happy for it. But for the people who want to see this through to its natural conclusion and they want to be honest to the phenomenon and why it's really here, it's important to keep your feet in the ground and to accept that there are two sides to this information. There are hoaxes and there's, there's a real phenomenon. And I really want to see where it goes, where the final development is. And it might just be, the irony might just be that we are the actual development of that because, and this is something I always leave my lectures with, uh, the big connection, which brings us back to the beginning of our conversation, Richard, you know, why is it that Canada gets 20% of crop circles and Britain gets 70%? And I mentioned the, uh, the connection with the uh, aquifers. Well, uh, research that was done back in the 80s clearly showed that the crop circles, wherever they appeared, they prefer ground that is uh, structured around water, just like the temples do around the world. Water is the prime ingredient of any uh, uh, hot spot of energy. So if you look at the uh, way that the crop circles are imprinting information into the magnetic field of the Earth, we began to bury bottles of water in the crop circles um, of all types. They were man-made, non-man-made, uh, genuine, and also just left in a field somewhere. Uh, we sent all these bottles to blind experiments, uh, blind laboratory experiments in France, and we found that the ones that came from the genuine circles were encoded. There was an imprinting of energy in the water, which means that you have to now look at homeopathy as a potential source of, of communication. And five different laboratories in Europe have validated homeopathy as being genuine. It does actually work. When you imprint energy into a piece of water, you dilute it a million times, that imprint is still there, and it's stronger. And that's the connection. If you add these symbols, which are magnetic and sonic, and you put them into these strategic parts of the Earth that sit on big aquifers, like southern Britain and Canada, that encoded information is going into the aquifer, it's leaching into the streams, the rivers, and the oceans around the world, 
and by uh, how much more diluted they become, the stronger the information gets. So in a way, we are part of that equation. We are drinking that water. We are being influenced. And there is no doubt that since the crop circles have appeared, we have had massive political and administrative changes around the world. And I just wonder if they are having a huge effect on us subconsciously and we are reacting to the crop circles. So we are actually connecting. We are completing the story, that transmission. Uh, and I believe that the change will finally come when we finally decide to take control of our lives again. Maybe that's it. Maybe, I've, maybe that is as simple as that, uh, a self-empowerment of the human race. Freddie, uh, always a pleasure talking to you, and it's a great place to, uh, to end it on a very positive note. Oh, likewise. And again, the book Secrets in the Fields and the websites, the website CropCircleSecrets.org. Thank you again, Freddie. My pleasure, Richard. All right. Always. Bye-bye. Cheers. When we come back, open lines. You, me, and the telephone till the top of the hour. If you've got a, um, a tale that raised the, raised the hackles on the back of your neck, I'd love to hear about it. Your encounters with the unexplained. If you'd like to talk deep politics, we can do that as well. 416-360-0740. Toll free from out of town, Maine to Minnesota. And Thunder Bay to the Carolinas, 866-744-740. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Oh, welcome back. Let me give you the numbers again. These will come in handy if you want to access the program and get on air. Join the conversation. 416-360-0740. That's good for the greater Toronto area. And if you're elsewhere, just about anywhere, 866-740-4740. And uh, we can talk cover-ups, conspiracies, deep politics, UFOs. If you've got a, um, a spine-tingling tale, as I used to call them, I would love to hear from you as well. Now until the, uh, the top of the hour. Next week on the program, as I mentioned, Gordon Finn. The no BS guru will be along. Um, Gordon wears a lot of hats. He's a um, interesting fellow. I actually interviewed him for an upcoming episode of the uh, the TV show, the Conspiracy Show, on crop circles. He was a uh, a bit of a circle chaser back in the '90s in England, 
when that was sort of the rage. He knows a lot about uh, crop circles. Um, and he is also a, um, a regression therapist. I've had him uh, on another episode in season one talking about past life regression therapy. Uh, this time around, though, next week, he'll be on in the capacity uh, as a channeler talking about uh, spirit communication. So that'll be interesting to see who uh, who we talk to through Gordon Finn next week. And the uh, the following week will be August the 14th. Sunday, August the 14th. That'll be, of course, two days uh, before the anniversary of Elvis Presley's death. And uh, Patrick Lacey will be on the show. That's Sunday, August the 14th. Patrick Lacey, author of Elvis Decoded. And uh, he sort of uh, lays to waste all of the Elvis is alive theories and all the little uh, the clues and tidbits like, you know, why was uh, Elvis's middle name misspelled on his tombstone? And, and uh, uh, what about that uncashed life insurance policy with Lloyds of London? And what about the, uh, the supposed sighting of, uh, of Elvis after August 16th? Uh, uh, Patrick Lacey will be along, uh, and rest assured, you'll... Um, after speaking with Patrick, you'll probably conclude that Elvis has in fact left the building, as hard as that is uh, for many of us to come to terms with. Uh, Darlene is in Hamilton. Good morning, Darlene. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good morning. Um, I was uh, looking at a site, I, I can't remember what the site was called, and it showed an, an unusual UFO in Niagara Falls of all places. Uh, have you ever seen it? Uh, usually when they show UFOs, they're just um, tiny balls of light that are going across the sky. But this one was very, very large. Uh, the camera wasn't that clear, and it was just hovering. This is a recent photo? It was in December of 2010. Mm, that's and pretty recent. And even a police officer came over, and you hear them after they go up and ask what they're doing. And it's extremely large, as you can really see it. It's um, almost triangular. I've never seen anything that close. A triangular craft hovering right over the falls, like right over the actual um, waterfalls? They were or? in the Niagara Falls area around okay. Christmas time. It was, uh, I, I think, a young teenage boy, and he just happened. He was filming um, something, because it was Christmas, and he was filming the area, and it was... Uh, uh, over a street, I assume, and uh, he put the camera up, and it wasn't uh, far away from the ground. But and did it like make the local media, Darlene? Was it covered in the papers and so forth? No, no, it it wasn't. Actually, it wasn't. I just happened upon it, and I just remember thinking, this this is unusual. Well, and if you happen it upon was... it again, um, uh, copy me on the link, and I'd love to check it out. Okay, I appreciate. Well, you that. might be able to find it. It's it's. Um, it's on a, apparently a well-known site, but it's all with UFOs. All right, I'll just Google uh, Niagara Falls and UFO, and we'll see what happens. Or the, the, the date. I think it was December 2010. I don't think it was a long time ago. All right, I'll check it out. Thank you, darling. Appreciate okay. it. Good to hear from you. Thanks. Bye. That's the problem, though, of course, in the uh, the age of Photoshop. And um, my my Lord, you can just do about anything you want with video and uh, photography. I, I, I would... Uh, I would think that they'll not in the not too distant future. It'll no longer be admissible in ev as evidence in a court of law, just because it's getting so hard to tell whether a photo or a video has been doctored and so forth. Not to not to say necessarily that this one is a hoax. 
But how can you tell? How can you tell anymore? Uh, Larry is in Guelph. Good morning, Larry. Welcome to AM 740 and The Conspiracy Show. Hello? Hi, Larry. Go ahead. You are on the air. Yes, I've often wondered if anybody's ever seen any evidence of UFOs or something like that that would land in a cold climate, like with snow on the ground. It always seems to be in warm climates that all these people experience these things. An, an actual UFO in, uh, yeah, with snow on the ground. That's a great question. I mean, like, it's always been warm climates, right? No one's ever had any evidence of when they're on snow on the ground and nothing like that, eh? Right. You would think if uh, if one of these craft were to land, of course, there would be a circular, uh, you know, area that's been melted um, and so forth. That would leave a pretty uh, a pretty impressive uh, piece of evidence, to be sure. That's I'm a good question, Larry. I mean, I, you ask that as a uh, as, as a skeptic or... or um, what, what's the motivation behind the question? Well, I just wonder because it's—I've never heard any anyone ever mention that. Eh? Uh, nor have I. Uh, although uh, you know, I'm not familiar with the sort of the UFO scene in places like uh, Sweden or Norway or uh, or uh, Russia. Um, I'm certainly not familiar with uh, sort of a, a celebrated UFO landing here in Canada, uh, particularly in the winter. Uh, but it's an excellent question. You know, next time I have my good buddy uh, Victor Vigiani on the show, which will probably be uh, in the next couple of weeks, I will ask him. Like a lawful wonder if they can't handle the cold. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Could you blame them? Nope. Could you blame them for deciding to uh, to show up over some remote location in Louisiana or Florida? Yeah. But nice and warm and comfortable. Indeed. Larry, great to hear from you. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. That's Larry in Guelph with a very good question. 416-360-0740 and 866-740-4740. Where am I? My fr- you know, I was down in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, let's see, J- early July, I guess, uh, mid- middle, of, middle of July. And, uh, you know, when I'm ever on the road, I always, because you know AM740, 50,000 watt, low torch of a station it's a clear channel which means at night we we actually are able to boost our power and so literally you know if you're a snowbird and you're driving down to uh, to florida you can pretty well take am 740 all the way down with you especially at night so when i'm in when i'm down there i always tune in at night to see you know how, how the signal sounds so i'm in in washington dc we're driving back to our hotel which is just north of the city north of the beltway and we're going down this this very spooky road, it's called Canal Road, and, uh, you know, so named because there's a canal on the left-hand side, but it's, it's a windy load, road, very poorly lit, and uh, kind of spooky, actually. So I said to Jalal, my director, who, who does most of the driving uh, when we're on the road, I said, just put it on a 740 and see if it comes in. And it's, it came in, just started kind of a hiss, and a, he just heard kind of a faint... You know, big band sound, and all of a sudden, there it was. There was AM740 on Canal Road in Washington, D.C. And then suddenly, I didn't feel so spooked. It was just like, ah, a little piece of home is here with me. Uh, Let's see. uh, James is in Toronto. Good morning, James. James. The comment on um, winter uh, UFO experiences, actually, in Whitney Strieber's uh, communion, um, one of the first major abductions happened at Christmas time. Interesting. Happened. 
Okay. And um, no, New York, I believe. New York. Well, the Hudson Valley uh, was uh, w- there were a lot of UFO uh, sightings in uh, in the Hudson Valley, which which um, may have led to the uh, the Rockefeller Initiative. Uh, Lawrence Rockefeller, who had who had a home in the Hudson Valley, uh, became very uh, interested in UFOs and apparently contacted the Clinton White House and wanted them to to see what they could find out and see if they could disclose and so forth. So, when that happened in the winter, there you go. Thank you for that, James. Yeah, I do believe it happens at any time of year, any time on the planet. So, yeah, would stand to reason. Thank right. you. Karen is in Thornhill. Thornhill. Good morning, Karen. Hi. Hi there. How are you today? I'm I'm just wonderful. Thank you for asking. Excellent. You have a UFO sighting to report? I do. And actually, I've been trying to find out whether anyone else has seen something similar, and I can't find anything. But this was actually in 1993 in Israel in the summertime. And it first appeared as a huge orb in the sky, which, of course, is a common sighting. And I, I have to say it was probably, I'm not very good with distance, but I would say it was about a kilometer away. And um, it then, it started sort of moving or sort of slightly morphing and, and moving and slightly in the sky. And it then disappeared and was replaced by these jumping horizontal blue lines. And so it went one way, and so I'm looking out the window, and it's moving left, horizontally jumping, and then right, like it's moving back, essentially, from where it came from. And, I mean, there was no noise, no sound whatsoever. It wasn't a firecracker. Um, And, I mean, I I have no idea what it was. Were you with anyone? Did anyone else see it? I had a few cousins like with me and we were all staring out the window and we were just, you know, perplexed. We just stood there and really didn't know what to make of it. I mean, I was trying to look for every rational explanation that I could find at that moment and I was thinking, well, could it could it be firecrackers? Could it be um some sort of light show happening, you know, where, you know, sometimes you see those beams of lights and stuff like that, but it was not anything like that because it didn't stream up towards the sky. It just jumped horizontally to the left and then horizontally to the right. What part of Israel? Was it Jerusalem, Tel Aviv? Um, good question. I, I, I really can't say. I, wanna, I feel like I want to say Haifa, but mm-hmm. I can't remember entirely. And, and there was, know, yeah. you checked out the local news coverage in the days following when you were there and there was nothing? At the time, I was, well, these are the days before the Internet. These are the days where, you know, information did not come as easy as it does today. And what I was actually do? a child, right? So it was, it was harder for me to be able to access that type of information. Um, so, right. no, I didn't check at the time. Sorry. Well, it might be, it, that's all right. It might be worth, you know, going back, using the Internet now and going back and checking some of the local, uh, the, you know, the local newspaper archives. archives and see what you could find. You never know. But, yes. Do you know any in particular um, for, for Israel in well, particular? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there must be a, um, a UFO uh, organization like a MUFON. The Mutual UFO Network is, of course, very big in North America. There must be sort of the equivalent in Israel... Okay. Uh, you might try there. Try Googling Israel plus MUFON. 
uh, or just Israel plus UFO organization. There may be even an exopolitics-type uh, group in Israel, mm-hmm. and uh, they may have online some sort of a, um, a catalog or, or an archive of, of, of sightings. So mm-hmm. that's, a, that's one good place to start. Just one quick note to make. Remember that recent video that came out on YouTube with, in Jerusalem with that big yes. ball of hovering light? Yes. That was exactly what I saw. Is that right? Well, the, um, bef- yeah, before the blue lights, that was what I saw. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, again, I was mentioning earlier, it's difficult to, to know how to gauge the authenticity of those because you can do anything with, with uh, video and editing and, and technology mm-hmm. today. Many of the people that I've talked to uh, the UFO researchers are, cl- are are saying that that was most likely a hoax, but okay, yeah. who knows? Yeah. Uh, so, Karen, uh, do a little digging, and if you uh, if you find anything, call me back and let me know. I definitely will. Thank you so much. All right, great to hear from you. Okay, thank bye-bye. you. All right, uh, I want to thank uh, Griffin March for uh, uh, producing as usual, and also Freddie Silva. Secrets in the Fields is the uh, the name of the book. Uh, if you're at all interested in crop circles, uh, that's a book that you need to have in your library. And, of course, a thanks to Dr. Timothy Ball, who um, always controversial. Not to me. Uh, what he has to say sounds very reasonable. But these days, in the climate, no pun intended, uh, we, we find ourselves... It's, it's very difficult to talk openly about, um, about global warming uh, without offending somebody. And I'm, I'm probably going to get some emails. Why did you have him on? And um, this is, you know, the science is in the bag. And we all know, we all know that man is causing global warming. Well, I haven't been convinced. I'm not a scientist, but uh, I think it's important that we at least are allowed to have these conversations. And I thank you for, uh, for listening and uh, joining in tonight. Back next week. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.